buying behavior has changed. Prospects don't click on links and emails anymore, and they don't watch the videos you spend hours creating every week. Instead, send personalized gifts and memes using Vidyu. You can quickly create engaging, personalized content that immediately grabs your prospect's attention, helps you stand out in the inbox, and does it all without forcing them to click anything or go anywhere. Head over to vidyou.io slash salescast to sign up for free and spend less time getting your messages across and more time selling. In the world of sales, you either sink, swim, or break through to the next level. My name's Colin Mitchell, and this is Sales Transformation, a new kind of sales show designed to bring you through the epic, life-changing moments of elite sellers so you can experience your own sales transformation. All right, welcome to another episode of Sales Transformation. Very excited today. I've got Jeremy Donovan. He is the SVP of Revenue and Strategy over at Sales Loft. In his spare time, he has written five books, including How to Deliver a TED Talk and Predictable Prospecting. Wow, five books in your spare time. That's crazy. Uh, we're going to dig into his story and pull some learning lessons out of there today. Jeremy, how the heck are you doing? I'm doing uh, reasonably well, like the rest of the United States. I'm at the tail end of a very mild case of Omicron, but I can't complain. People have it much worse than I do. Yeah, yeah, man. Oh, bummer. Um, but I'm glad to hear that it's not it's not too bad. That's I've come across a few people that had it, and I've heard the same thing. So that's super, good. super, super mild. Can't again, can't complain. Yeah, yeah. So take us back a little bit. Where did your you know we're going to get into a lot of things, especially like who the heck has. Uh, you know, who the heck writes five books in their spare time, right? Um, and you're, you know, and you mentioned before we hit record that you, you, you really love to dig into data. So we're going to touch on that. Um, but before we do all that, just take us back a little bit. Where did your sales journey start? Yeah, I guess everyone's a special snowflake. Uh, I am my own special snowflake. I actually yeah. started my life out as a semiconductor engineer ages and ages ago. Uh, now, what is it, over uh, almost 30 years ago. Um, and I was a, was an engineer for a while, semiconductor industry analyst for a while. And then I, you know, people talk about the, the careers kind of changing that they used to careers used to be a ladder or many careers like maybe they still are a ladder is like you start as an SDR you become an AE you become a manager you become you know ultimately an RVP or a CRO then you rule the world right so yeah I, I didn't I, I did not have that progression it was sort of bouncing around uh, jungle gym someone I, I heard that that metaphor used recently it was jungle gym so I, I, I moved through a lot of product functions, product development, product marketing, product management, some M&A work. And I, I found what I was chasing was the application of analytics to domains that weren't analytical because I thought that was where I could add value. So I, I did that first in marketing when marketing made that transformation and I was a CMO uh, at a Fortune 1000 company. And then I decided I love sales. So I, I jungle gym my way, you know, and, and it wasn't like I could step from Fortune 1000 CMO and uh, you know Fortune 1000 head of revenue strategy and operations just wasn't wasn't mm. the thing, so I, I I needed to to build that skill up and and I I moved out of the Fortune 1000 world into much smaller companies and and uh, you know ultimately found my way over to Sales Loft where I've been for the last four years. Yeah, so 
tell me about the, how did you jungle gym your way from marketing to sales? And then even furthermore, like from working from, you know, fortune 1000 to, you know, smaller, you know, kind of more, I guess maybe startup. I don't, and, and, and what was that transition like for you? Yeah. Um, well, you know, it's been, it's, it was rocky at times, awesome at times. So from marketing to sales was really, yeah, again, this weird thing, which is I went from being a CMO to being a CRO in a smaller company. So I picked up revenue responsibility without ever, you know, selling really anything other than mangoes and baseball cards when I was a little kid. So I, I considered myself a bit of like a, a sales fraud in, in that respect. But I, I, I you know, I, I make up for it by by uh, I, re- I refer to it as out trying to outlearn everybody, right? I mean, I don't know mm-hmm. that I'm going to be successful, but uh, you know, I don't have my Zoom filter on in the background, but you can sort of see the you know see the bookshelf cluttered behind me with with a lot of books. Um, and I've stopped actually reading paper books. So my Kindle, if Kindles could be thick, you know, I'm I'm reading constantly. I'm listening to podcasts. I'm um, talking to people one-on-one to to get deep insights. So yeah, I mean, I would say that the, the that journey of being able to jump around is really learning learning motivated. And then to the other part of your question about moving from you know Fortune 1000 to smaller companies, that's the awesome part, right? Is mm. in, in Fortune 1000 companies, right? Like when I was an individual contributor, you're you're I mean, a cog in the wheel is the wrong way to put it, but I, I felt that way sometimes that I, I had to stay in my lane very tightly. And then when I got into leadership at at you know at those bigger companies, I felt like my whole day was just meetings. Even before this, this is long before the Zoom world, right? As I just sort of sat in meetings all the time, and you know that's okay, but I can't complain, right? I mean, it's a high class problem to have making decisions and. Um, but what I what I I really do love to roll my sleeves up. That's that's like. When I enter flow, it's because I'm, you know, and I it's it's a blessing and a curse. Like when I enter flow, it's because I'm I'm staring at data, I'm in a spreadsheet, I'm writing code. Like just before this podcast, I was I was coding in Python, so uh, that sort of thing brings me into a into a total state of flow. So I love the fact that in these smaller companies, it's like you see a problem, you go fix it, right? And you don't need yeah. you don't have all this red tape. It, it, people, you know, leadership in smaller companies loves loves people who get who roll their sleeves up and get things done. So yeah, that, that's that's been awesome. Wow, that was a nice surprise. You're coding in Python as well. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I, I've been coding since I was a teenager. Back before, I, th- I don't Python probably didn't even exist. So t- you know, to me, all these languages are basically are basically the same. But I started in, you know, on MS DOS in Basic now 35 plus years ago and and uh, there, there's there are very few languages that i haven't touched and i'm a hacker not a programmer and the difference as i understand it is i couldn't produce production co- code right but i can hack yeah. together most you know most things pretty quickly what's the use case there like what what is that something you're you're doing in your free time while you're, you know, maybe writing your next book or is this something Uh, that is useful in your role? Yeah. I should comment on the free time thing, by the way. And and the free time (laughs) thing, um, just comes from a, like a, I think it's two things. One is I'm a big fan of this author, Cal Newport. He, he, he writes, he's actually a computer scientist, but he writes a lot about 
work and and he wrote a book called Deep Work. He wrote a few other books just about um, sort of how you stay focused in, in an era of constant distractions. Yeah. And uh, so I, I think, you know, I, I adhere to some of those principles. I, I like to refer to my secret, my like secret weapon is that I, I don't watch television, which makes me a little boring, I guess, in some respects. I do like movies, so, so it's not like I don't like media at all. But, but since I don't watch television, I don't really, you know, like I'm not distracted by by media i limit my social media consumption as well someone asked me yesterday if i was on facebook or instagram and i said no uh i'm on linkedin a decent amount but anyway so so yeah the 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 coding use case as you asked is really around i mean it's usually sales related stuff the stuff i was just working on right now is is um forecasting algorithms so um about a year or two ago, I, I, I created the, in, the forecasting algorithm we use at SalesLoft um, uh, to this day. And, and my goal there, or our goal there, is, is we want to be able to call the quarter within plus or minus 5% when we compare day 15 to day 90. So um, the reason for, for the day 15 thing is, is like most companies, right, the first two weeks of the quarter, we have QBRs. And a lot of garbage gets cleaned up during that time. So I, I don't think it's fair to compare day one to day 90, but I think day 15 to day 90 is a good comparison. So I, I'm, I'm sort of constantly tuning uh, a little bit of how we of, of how we um, execute that algorithm. Wow, that's a pretty that's a pretty bold mission, right? Considering that we've all heard the numbers of how many people are not not hitting quota, right? So how do you get forecasting that accurate? Uh, we ha and then I sh yeah, I mean that's our goal, and we're consistently at the goal, like usually within plus or minus three percent. Actually, even when our target, this is a good, like this quarter is a great example. We we end the quarter January thirty first. You know, we're recording this in in early January, and you know we've been calling a number that is about forty four zero forty percent higher than our target. When our target was already significantly higher, you know, than than last year. So, you, you, you know. Our, our, our leadership team would sort of look at the number I was, you know, we were generating with the algorithm early in the quarter. They're saying, no way, no way. And, and then, of course, right now we're approaching the end of January and it's looking like that call was was will end up being like within plus or minus three percent. So the way we do it is is uh, uh, two. There's a few pieces, right, is is we're triangulating across a few different uh, approaches. But the, I would say that the, the two biggest things, one are one is we're we're either stage we're stage waiting in the SMB segment, and then we're forecast category waiting in enterprise, and that's really important, right? Because stage stages tend to be more and more accurate when you got a large volume of more transactional deals, and yeah. and that human forecast category is is much more valuable, much more useful in the enterprise where you've got more more deals, right? So I'm oh, sorry, you got fewer deals but larger larger numbers. So that tells us the piece that uh, of the deals that are already in the pipeline. But the thing is, right, is in every in every business, there's a ton of deals that get created and closed or pulled forward in the quarter. And I think that's where people miss is that they, they're not estimating that accurately. And um, so even in the enterprise, right, where you got large, long sales cycle deals, um, you also have upgrades that happen faster. So part of the secret sauce in our internal algorithm is that we do a, a really wicked job of estimating 
that we, we call it run rate. So we do a wicked job of estimating how much business will get created and closed in the quarter in, in every segment, both new, new business and upgrades. Wow. Okay. And how many, I mean, how many companies are, are, are not waiting it in this way? I mean, do I you know of anybody else that's doing this way? I've talked to, I've talked to like a very, I talked to a lot of RevOps peers. It's one of, it's one of the things I love to do. Um, so much yeah. so actually I created a, uh, there's not like uh, selling from the stage because it's completely free, but I created this thing called true peer, T R U E P E R. Yeah. Uh, truepeer.com. And what true peer is, is just like, um, a way for people to get one-on-one meetings once a month. It's like lunch club, but for, for, you know, sales and revenue professionals, totally free. Um, and in fact, that's a money losing endeavor for me because I I'm licensing this platform called orbit <clears throat> that, uh, I just use to do it. And, um, it's my, it's a give back basically. But anyway, I'm talking to RevOps people all the time and yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's an overwhelming minority. I mean, I've, I can only think of one or two or three people I've run across that are that this degree of sophistication that they're applying to, to their forecasting. Plenty of people are stage waiting. Um, I don't know many that are splitting like the approach for SMB and enterprise, which I, I think is critical to accuracy. And then I don't know many that, that have this degree of sophistication on, on the run rate estimation. Yeah. Or how many do you know that are writing Python? Yeah. Not, not, a, not <laughs> a, I well, you know, the people like, again, I think it's a blessing and a curse. Like people ask me, should I learn to code? And, and my answer is actually, I have a, there's a, 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 a Another sales loft employee that has become a fast friend, and um, you know he's probably twenty years twenty years my junior, and so we're you know I'll call it co mentorship. But but he asked me recently, should I learn to code? And I said, only learn to code if it's something that you really that you really want to do because it, it actually can be career limiting, right? Is is if you're perceived for better or worse like. If you're perceived as someone who who um, one can delegate and code, right? Like you can do yeah. both, but a lot of the companies I've worked in, the, the you're sort of branded, and it's hard for people to maintain in their heads that you can both be a great leader and be a great, you know, high 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 impact kind of contributor. It's as you know, so I think that. It's really hard to manage this like simultaneous brands, and I don't even know if it's possible. So anyway, what I was I was giving him this advice is like, mm-hmm. it depends on what you want to do, you know. Like know that if you become a wicked coder hacker, I should say, then yeah. like that that may in, we, in weird ways limit your career opportunities. I, I said it's it, what's important is to understand what's possible. That you need to know, and then. Um, and then you need to, if, if you're not going to code, you need to find somebody who can code. And I said, you know, for him, he's got me, like he can delegate sort of upwards, I guess, to me, he comes up with brilliant ideas. His name is David Lee Bell. Uh, he comes out, he's in, in, and he works in the customer success part of our, our world. So he like comes up with these brilliant ideas in the customer success world. And, and then I'm like his, a joke, I'm his code monkey. Because I, 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 I turn his vision into reality. I said, like, you can continue to operate that way, right? You know, whether you've got me or you've got contractors or whatever, you just know, need to know the art of the possible and then go ask someone else to go to go hack. 
So yeah, yeah I, there's no. I mean, right it's, it's really fascinating to me, which is why we've obviously spent a lot of time here, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Because it's very rare that you find a revenue leader that codes, and for a SaaS company who has coders, right? I mean, like, it, it, yeah. it, it's very interesting. So, um, what I'm what I'm really curious about. Um, uh, and, and I appreciate that perspective, right? Of like, you know, do you want to be, you know, you, what do you want to be pinned for? Right? <laughs> it's yeah, like the coder yeah. or the revenue leader, right? Um, so I'm, I'm curious about the books. You, you've written, you know, five books over what period of time? Um, you know, I don't know if we'll have time to talk about all the books, but maybe the one most recent book or the one you're most passionate about. Yeah, kinda, yeah. Just walk us through the journey a little bit. So um, the... I'll start with saying, yeah, over what period of time the, the I wrote probably five five in like five or six years. It's probably been a couple of years since I since I wrote one, although I badly want to write another one on revenue strategy. And uh, a couple of days ago, I was actually trying to bang out a, the the first the first chapter. Um, I started out by writing a really it's what on reflection is like a terrible book, but I'm very proud of because it was the first the first one. And that was basically just I was I had moved into I started moving into leadership and strategy roles and I was learning so fast and I couldn't keep it in my head so I wrote it down on PowerPoints what was PowerPoint slides um, and I, I was I shared it with a few of my colleagues one of my friends his name is Matt French uh, said hey you should really like turn this into book form because not everyone consumes you know in PowerPoint form. Yeah. So on his on his suggestion, I sat down and you know banged out kind of crappy crappy <laughs> book, but one I'm very proud of because it was something that was like a leave behind f for me. Uh, and I lost my father when I was a teenager, and I always felt I had this chip on my shoulder that like I wish I could have had the knowledge right that that he wisdom that he would have imparted on me. So for, uh, you know mm. at the time, my I think I had my we had our first child, and um, I wanted to have a legacy for him just in case it's very morbid, but just in case something happened to me. Uh, now we have two, they both refuse to read any of the books because they're too, they're sort of too technical and boring. So yeah, that was the, that was the thing. And then I, I'd say that like all the books, um, they are there. I, I wrote the, like people when they go to write a book, they have this, I think a lot of people have this dream that it's going to be the next Harry Potter, right? That they're going to make money while they sleep and it's <laughs> passive income and whatever. Um, I can't remember the exact statistics, but basically you should just go in expecting you're going to lose time and money, right? Um, wow. creating, writing, writing books. The reason you should, I believe the reason you should write particularly nonfiction business, nonfiction books is because you're trying to figure <clears throat> for me, it's, you're trying to figure something out and you're trying to structure those, you know, you're trying to structure those thoughts and, and learn and understand and then great if if like someone else picks it up great and and that really was the the genesis of it for me i mean the most the most successful of the books was definitely the how to deliver a ted talk book i was super geeked out about public speaking at the time and i was watching ted talks to understand yes the messages that were in them but much more the construction and the delivery right i was much more after that kind of stuff and because i was deconstructing them for myself i just said huh I recognize a formula in here and I'm going to write that up. So that was, um, 
that one and then what it just happened to be like right at the right time and and like that was the most successful of them <clears throat> the other ones so you know the more recent other than the first one the other ones have done okay i mean the i'd say the one um i don't know i'm proud of all you asked me like what am i most proud of i'm proud of all of them the the my two favorites i suppose are a book i wrote with uh, alia homison called leading sales development and same thing like She's a super expert um, on that, and I have a decent amount of expertise, and I just wanted to synthesize and figure and figure out. So I, I'm super proud of that one. And then another one is actually not even under my own name; it's under a pseudonym. Um, it's called Strategic Storytelling, and the pseudonym is Dave McKinsey. And the reason I'm proud of that one is because it's it's again like a relatively super technical thing, but what I find is that there's a lot of um, books on storytelling that I find to be not so useful. <clears throat> and the reason I find them not useful is because they're storytelling books, but they're not business storytelling. And mm-hmm. what I wanted, uh, I couldn't find anything on business storytelling. And I really wanted to do something that was more practical. Um, and particularly like when you get into a meeting with an executive and you're trying to, to convince them to make a decision, that's a story. And that's what that book is about. It's about exact. It's about persuading executives to, to green light ideas. Wow. So it sounds like what's interesting is that you've not only like written all these books, but you know, each of them are a little bit different, right? Like typically when you, you know, maybe say have a revenue leader or salesperson that's, you know, written books, they're kind of all sales books, right? But each one has, uh, is a little bit different. It has a little bit different reason. Um, why do you think the, you know, how to deliver a Ted talk, you know, did so well? What made that book sort of stand out outside of, you know, I know you mentioned the timing a little bit, um, yeah. but, but why do you think that one was a little bit more successful than say the others? Um, you know, I, I, I reflect a lot on, on, um, <clears throat> you know, how success is traditionally defined. And I, I really strongly believe that it's, it's timing, which is luck effectively. Uh, there's hard work skill yes um and then the help help of help from other people right i mean but i think those Mm -hmm. other factors like luck and help from other people are underestimated by things that that work out so if i reflect on that particular book one people do judge a book by its cover right so the title was perfect the cover was perfect as, as it could be you know yeah um it was actually the the original version of it was super short it was like 100 pages and it was at a time when people like wanted to consume much shorter things. Um, so there was that inflection. Ted had just taken off right as I wrote that book. So that was another timing aspect. And then, um, you know, I think the content was, was, was not derivative. Like it was really something that didn't, didn't exist. So there was some, some meat, uh, underneath and then the help from others. Um, the, this, this, uh, this, this, person who i mean i don't think listeners unless they know his name his name is michael margolis he's a like he's a storytelling expert he got a hold of the book and he he really he liked it and i i didn't know him at the time and he said hey i i have a group of friends we all get together periodically and sort of you know geek out on stuff so so he he says why don't you come in and you know we'll we'll like spend half a day or a day going through this stuff and I look, I look up his group of friends, and like the group of friends 
I'll, I'll maintain their anonymity, but they're basically like mega authors and speakers. And, um, you know, these are people who charge $50,000, $100,000 for speaking engagements. And I was, he invited me and I was terrified when I looked at the, at the invite because I, w- I figured these people could run circles around me, which they, they you know, they, they can and did. But like they wanted to go through the, the ideas in the book with a fine tooth comb and then, <clears throat> you know, help of others. So, right. So Michael got these people together and then they told their friends. So it was kind of like these things where you, you know, you work so hard to get your, you know, your your onesie on the baby yeah. of the of the celebrity and uh and i just lucked you know luck i lucked into that um something you couldn't plan as part of the strategy <laughs> no way no way total yeah. luck so that was yeah so that was kind of what what a lot of factors but again like i almost don't like to tell the story because i want people to write just just for themselves because i think that's that's it's, it is a labor of love, and, and if you don't have that mindset, you're going to have a not as great, not as you know, positive of an experience before and afterwards. Like you'll be disappointed, but I don't think you should be. Like I'm, I'm as proud of <clears throat> that first book that does not sell as I am of the other books that do. Yeah, yeah. Well, awesome, Jeremy. This has been incredible learning uh, so many interesting things uh, about you and your story and your journey. Any final thoughts and kind of just, you know, anything else you want to let folks know and, and, and how they can get in touch with you? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I'll just summarize final thoughts here. You know, one is, is certainly the, you know, write for yourself is, is one. Another one is, is think about your career and whether you do the ladder thing or the jungle gym thing. And I think there really is no, no right answer. Um, and then, yeah, in terms of like, uh, ways to get in touch with me. LinkedIn's the best way to do it. Um, go check out Troop here. It's free. And <clears throat> it's just a way to connect one-on-one to learn from other people. No no hidden agenda. No hidden agenda there. So yeah, it was it was a blast chatting. I wish we had more time because uh, we would get into like the other piece of, of what I do, which is a lot of data-driven stuff around yeah, everything to do with sales and revenue. So with more time, I think we're going we, to go I think we're going to have to have you back for a part two for that. Sweet, sweet. Yeah, I just I've got some fresh off the presses data on on like whether or not biographical data can predict whether or not an enterprise salesperson will be successful. So bio data is things like you know, where did they go to school and what degree did they get and and mm. how long did they work in their prior job? Do they have winner's circle, you know, in their resume? All those kinds of things like sports do those things actually matter? And, and a lot of people have beliefs about that, but data trumps, you know, in, in data I trust. So we can, we can do that next time. Yeah. I, I love how you gave them a little sneak peek of what, what to expect. You guys are going to have to stay tuned for part two with Jeremy Donovan. Uh, thanks so much for coming on again. Really appreciate it. We're going to drop your LinkedIn in, in the show notes there. Um, and the link for Troop here as well. If you enjoyed today's episode, please write us a review Share the show with your friends. It really does help us out. And we're also listening for your feedback. You can go to salestransformation.fm, drop me a voice DM, and I will get back to you. Hey, you stuck around. That tells me you're serious about your own sales transformation. If you're tired of doing things the old way and want to get started in your journey with other people on the same path, head over to salescast.community. 
and crush your numbers on your leaderboard. Yeah, it's free. Salescast.community. Send me a DM with your best pitch and mention this ad, and I might even give you free access to our best templates.